Thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day as we continue our studies in the book of Jonah. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Verse 17 of chapter 1 into chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Those who have ears to hear are blessed to hear what God says. Please be seated. The Lord has called Jonah, his prophet, his man, to be the first missionary to the nations. The Lord calls Jonah to take a message of judgment outside of the borders of Israel to the wicked people of Nineveh. The Lord said to Jonah in Jonah 1, 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The wickedness of the people of Nineveh rivaled the wickedness of the people of Sodom in that their wickedness was so vile, so grand, that their sin had even caught the attention of heaven. Jonah had discerned that in taking the message to the people of Nineveh, the Lord was intending to show mercy to the people of Nineveh. God was bringing his word to the sinful people of Nineveh as a means of grace. Anytime you are in the presence of God's word, anytime you are blessed to hear God's word, it is a means of grace that God is using to mercifully save or change you. The people of Nineveh were hearing God's word, were going to hear God's word, and God was intending to save them from their sin. God is merciful, and God is even merciful to those who don't deserve mercy. That is all of us. This is what ultimately the mercy of God, the, the love of God is what ultimately it frustrates Jonah, God's man. Jonah laments after the repentance and salvation of Nineveh in Jonah 4.2, 2, 
For I knew that you were or that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah had miscalculated who his God really was, who his God really is, a merciful God who is slow to anger, a merciful God who is abounding in love. Jonah was called to go, listen to this, was called to go beyond the borders of Israel. And Jonah had unwittingly placed borders around himself and God. We have no evidence of Jonah ever disobeying God's command or call until now. God says, Jonah, you go to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah says to God, God, you've gone too far. You've crossed borders and boundaries that I've established for you and that I've established for myself. Or God, you can come this far, thus far and no further. Jonah refuses to obey the command of God. Jonah had forgotten who his God was. Jonah had forgotten even who he and his nation were to be. A people who were to be a light to the other nations, who called the other nations to serve and worship the one true God. In response to the command of God, Jonah does something that no other prophet has has done before him. And as far as we know, what no other prophet has done after him, he attempts to run from God. In spite of his theology and what he knows to be true about God, he tries to run from the presence of God. And we asked the question last time. Where exactly is that? Where can you go to run from the presence of God? Well, in that time, it was go to Tarshish. Tarshish was appeared to be the ends of the world, as it were, if you were trying to get to the ends of the world. So Jonah went down to Joppa and found a ship who happened to be going to or that happened to be going to Tarshish. He pays the fare, jumps on the boat And attempts to run away from the presence of God. But those who belong to God, those who truly belong to God, will find that it is not easy to escape his presence. Nor will they be able to disobey God and come out on the other side unscathed. The Bible says in Jonah 1.4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest upon the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The sailors call out to their gods to no avail. The sailors begin to grab the cargo and throw it over the ship in order to save themselves. And yet that too is to no avail. All human effort is worthless when it is confronted with the wrath of God. His wrath must be satisfied. Jonah at this time is fast asleep under the ship or below the ship. And a sinful captain comes to him and implores him, begs him in verse six of chapter one, arise, call out to your God. If you notice in the rest of the first chapter, Jonah never does call out to his God. The captain may not have even known or, of course, did not even know that he was being used by God as a means of grace to awaken Jonah of his sin. Call out to your God. Jonah would know this. Jonah would know what to do when the wrath of God comes. He knows, call out to your God. And yet even this sinful captain knows that the only way to escape this wrath is to call out to God. And yet Jonah, in the rest of that chapter, as we see, never does. The sailors call out to God. 
The sailors who were wicked, who were vile, who were idolaters by their own admission or by the Bible's own description, they call out to God before Jonah ever calls out to God. In the midst of the mighty tempest and storm, salvation is what I believe to be salvation comes to these sinful sailors. And Jonah who was called to go to a foreign nation to bring a message of judgment so that people might be saved, finds himself running away from God, being on a boat with foreign people who he shares the true God with, and they are saved. The very thing that Jonah was running away from is the very thing that God continually brought him back to. They asked Jonah, what must we do to calm the storm, to calm the waves? And Jonah gives them a word from the Lord. Jonah 1.12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. They initially resist God's word. They initially resist the word from the prophet. But initially, but finally, they obey the word of the prophet and they pick up Jonah. They toss him over the ship. And you've got to, again, imagine the scene. Waves are crashing. Ship is breaking apart. They are not speaking calmly to one another, but they are yelling at the top of their voices. And they finally pray a prayer of forgiveness to God. Let us not be accountable for this man's life, but this is your will. It pleased you. And they toss Jonah over the ship. And now the scene changes. No longer are we in the midst of the great tempest of the sea. No longer are the waves crashing about. No longer is the boat breaking apart. No longer are these men crying out for their lives. Jonah has been tossed over the edge of the boat. And now there is this eerie silence. There is this eerie silence as Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the sea. The outward narrative of all of the events that are very descriptive has now become an inward narrative of Jonah's heart. What's happening here? The shouting, the yelling, the, the roll, the shooting of dice, all of those things become silent. And suddenly we get a glimpse into the chaos in Jonah's own heart. It is interesting that it's not until Jonah chapter 2 that Jonah calls out to the Lord. As we embark upon this second chapter, the author of the book of Jonah, and we don't know who the author is. He intends for us to, to pause. And, and I love even kind of the silence that I hear now because that, that should be exactly what we feel as we enter into the second chapter. Jonah, as it were, is sinking to the bottom of the sea. And the author of this book intends us to to leave the chaos of chapter one and come to grips with the realities of sin and disobedience in chapter two. Jonah is alone. And he is alone with God for three days and three nights. The author of this book, no matter who it was, is intending for us to slow down. Intending for us to collect our thoughts with Jonah. I'd like to ask you this. If you were 
thrown to your death as Jonah was, what would your thoughts of God be? If you were thrown to your death and you were, as Jonah was, sinking to the bottom of the sea, sinking to your death, what would your thoughts about God be? You recognize, as Jonah did, this is from God. Verse 4, you cast me, chapter 2, you cast me into the sea, into the hearts of the sea, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows passed over me. This is not random. Jonah being in the midst of the sea is not random. It's not happenstance. This is from God. Therefore, if you knew what Jonah knew, what would your thoughts about God be as you sank to the very depths of the depths of the sea? As you look into this chapter, you will see that it's written in, in the form of a psalm. It's written in the form of a poem. It's a Hebrew psalm. Why? Because the writer of this psalm is intending for this psalm to be appropriated to its readers. Meaning this, the writer of this psalm is intending for you to identify with what Jonah is saying. Because Jonah's experience is not just his own experience, although it is his experience, but it is also the experience of every single person who comes under the wrath of God and by God's grace is saved from his wrath. It was meant on the part of the, the reader to identify with Jonah. As he sinks to the depth of the sea, there is something else that happens. Verse 17, chapter 1. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It is amazing that that is really what all people, that is really all people know about Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And our minds can easily begin to wonder, well, what kind of fish? Was it a whale? An extinct fish? How big was the fish? How could a fish swallow a man and not, you know, crush them in half? We can very easily Miss the point of this book. Miss the point of the book of Jonah by seeking to discover the mysteries of God that in his wisdom he has chosen not to reveal. The great subject of the book of Jonah is not the great fish. The great subject of the book of Jonah is our great God. God intends two things. By sending the great fish to swallow Jonah. And, and let your minds be wrapped around this. God not only sent the wind, the waves, and the great tempest upon the sea. God also sends a great fish. Who hears God and obeys. And as he does, God intends to rescue Jonah from the depths of the sea. But God is also creating a unique classroom for Jonah. Think about this. God is protecting or protecting his, his prophet, but he is also providing for his prophet a unique classroom, a place of learning. Jonah has, has been sent somewhere that no one has ever been before. He's been enrolled by God into a unique university of learning, and its location is in the belly of a fish at the very depths of the sea. That is where Jonah's classroom will be for the next three days and three nights. No one's ever been there before. It is a, a classroom especially 
designed for Jonah. What is Jonah's major? <laughs> what is his specific lesson that Jonah will, will be learning from God, the professor, Jonah, the student? Nothing less than death and resurrection through the mercy of God. Nothing less than death and resurrection through the mercy of God. And this death and resurrection is anticipation of Christ and the gospel message itself. After that long introduction, we have just three points this morning. Number one, the wages of sin is death. Number one, the wages of sin is death. Verse 15, so of chapter one. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Think about this. <clears throat> when Jonah was thrown overboard, as far as Jonah was concerned, and as far as the sailors were concerned, Jonah was being thrown to his death. There are no jumping fish in this scene that they know that fish will catch him. Jonah is being thrown to his death in Jonah's mind. The sailors are throwing Jonah to death in their minds. Jonah and the sailors believe Jonah is as good as dead. As far as we can tell, there is no expectation on the part of Jonah that he would be saved from his death, let alone saved by a great fish. If we had our druthers of how we would like to be saved if we were thrown into the ocean, I'm sure that our first selection, our first choice would not be, swallow me, fish. That would probably be the last of our choices. What was going on? What was the point of Jonah being thrown overboard? Jonah's being thrown overboard to his death is a consequence of his disobedience. Don't, Jonah's being thrown overboard to his death, because that's what Jonah believes it is, is the consequence of his sin and disobedience. It was his sin that had placed him in the depths of the sea. It was Jonah's sin that had entombed him, if you will, in the belly of a great fish. His sin had found him out. His sin had run its course. And God executed his judgment. And judgment from God was this. As Arturo was saying earlier, judgment from God is death. The righteous requirements of disobedience to God's command is death. You may notice in Jonah 1.17 that Jonah did not immediately die. But a great fish comes and swallows him whole. Again, not circumstantial. The Lord provided this. And the great fish is purposeful in teaching us. That God has appointed Jonah to be swallowed by this fish to teach us something about sin and salvation. We must ask, if Jonah is saved from his death by this great fish, then in what sense are we talking about Jonah really dying? Does that make sense? Listen, if Jonah is saved by this great fish, then in what sense is Jonah actually dying? Because the wages of sin is death. Jonah is thrown to his death. So in what sense has he died? Has a death really occurred? And it may be tempting for us to see this fish as a type of rescue submarine. But Jonah does not speak of, of being swallowed by this fish as salvation. Jonah speaks about being swallowed by this fish as being nothing less than death. 
in Jonah's own heart, in Jonah's own life, in Jonah's own experience, what he's experiencing is death. From Jonah's perspective, he's as good as dead. Inside the belly of the fish, in Jonah's own heart, in Jonah's own mind, he is more dead than alive. Jonah, in his own mind, has just been eaten. You hear that? In Jonah's own mind, and you know what's inside of a, fi- of a, of a belly. Inside of the belly are acids that are meant to break down whatever is inside so that it can be passed through. Jonah is inside of this belly. And in Jonah's own heart and in Jonah's own mind, he is dead. And we also must resist that Jonah being inside the great fish was kind of a Geppetto monstro scene. This was the first movie I ever saw as a child. I was taken to the the Nile Theater downtown and I was amazed by this story, Pinocchio. If you've never seen Pinocchio, you may recall what life for Geppetto was like in the belly of the great monstro. He and his cat Figaro. Spending their days waiting to escape the monstro's belly. And in the meantime, what's, what's Geppetto doing? He's fishing. Figaro's trying to catch the fish as it slips through his fingers. In Monstro, Geppetto's life is not that bad. It could be even viewed as, as kind of quaint, kind of pleasant in Monstro's belly, isn't it? Jonah's experience is nothing like that whatsoever. Jonah's experience is nothing like that whatsoever. Jonah was not peacefully waiting as Geppetto was for the moment to escape or be delivered. This was an experience for Jonah that was nothing short of hell. Sheol. Verse 4 of chapter 2. I am driven away from your sight. Verse 5. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. If you've ever been to the ocean. And if you ever dare to go beyond the breakers of the waves. And if you ever dare to take a boogie board. Or even be even as dumb as my brothers and I are. To go body surfing. You will know that there will be times when the waves will treat you as you are. A speck of sand in a great sea. They will spend, they will spin you. They will send you tossed to and fro. You will come up and not know your left from your right. You're up or you're down. Jonah experienced this times 10,000. He is entombed inside of this great fish. In what sense does he die? God buries Jonah. God makes him undergo an experience of death on account of his sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. James 1.14 through 15, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Dear friend. When sin does what it wants to do, what is the outcome? James says the outcome is nothing less than death. If you pursue sin, if you persist in pursuing sin, its end result is always the same. Death. There is a pattern of Jonah's life, isn't there? In Jonah's life, There is a downward cycle. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 3. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Verse 3b. So he paid the fare and went down into it. That is down into the boat. Verse 5b. But Jonah had gone down, even further down, into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Here is the pattern of Jonah. The pattern of Jonah running away from the presence of God is down, down, down. And it is not incidental from the author. To flee from the Lord, brothers and sisters, to turn from God, to disobey God is to go down, down, down. And there are moments or opportunities that the Lord even gave Jonah to to rise up, to turn from his sin. He calls a sinful captain to tell Jonah, awake, arise, O sleeper, call out to your God. And Jonah would not have, the, 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 the captain would not have known this, but Jonah most certainly would have known this. As he's running, even sinners are calling him. Call out to God. Run no more. Stop your downward spiral before it's too late. In the process of Jonah going down, he comes to its dreadful end. Jonah is picked up and thrown into the sea. The sea is the end of the road for Jonah. You've persisted in going down. This is the end of your downward spiral. It is finished. Jonah's running from the presence of the Lord down to Joppa, down to the ship, down into the hole of the ship. And there's a certain sense in which the Lord says, you want to go down? You want to persist in your disobedience? Then go all the way. This is what it looks like when you go all the way. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been there and you're sitting here this morning and saying, I should not be here. But for the grace of God. You remember those moments where you should have, because of your sin and because of your own downward spiraling movement, you should have been dead. But God, by his grace, by his mercy, when Jonah finally got to the place that he thought he wanted to be away from the presence of the Lord, he found out he didn't want to be there after all. He found out where he thought he wanted to go was exactly not where he wanted to be. He said in verse four, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Can someone please turn the AC on? Jonah. In verse four says, I am driven away from your sight. Isn't that where Jonah wanted to go? Did he want to escape the presence of the Lord? Jonah, you you've made it. Isn't that where you wanted to be? You kept going. You kept going down and you kept going down and you kept going down. And now God allows Jonah to see what going down all the way looks like. Brothers and sisters, sin always has the same end. When you run from God, when you disobey God, this is what it looks like. Is it blissful? Is it peaceful? Away from God. Is there peace? Is there joy? No. Brothers and sisters, there is only death and hell itself. When the Lord turns Jonah over to his sin, it's an act of judgment on Jonah's disobedience. What was this death like in chapter 2? 
it's not so much described as a physical life of uh, a loss of life. It's not so much that Jonah's physical life has been taken, although he believes it is. It's more so that Jonah's spiritual life has been taken from him. Because of his sin, Jonah was cast out of, banished from the presence of God. He wanted to run from God's presence and then finally found out what that is like when he's gone from God's presence and says, I am banished from your presence. Jonah cast out of the joy and fellowship with God because of his own willful disobedience. I'm driven from your sight. This is the lowest of the low, the depths of the depths. Jonah's very existence was torturous. Why? Because he was outside of the presence of God. And for the first time, Jonah began to realize what that was like. It was as if God had turned his back on him, would no longer look upon him. Jonah was experiencing hell. Jonah was experiencing hell. Sin is a great separator. Verse one, he said, I called out of my distress. Where is this cry coming from? He said in verse two, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Have you heard that word before? Have you seen it in scripture? Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, but he doesn't call it the belly of the great fish. He calls it the belly of Sheol or the place of the dead. I am in distress. I am in anguish. Where? In the place of the dead. Sheol has a range of imagery in the Bible. Sometimes it refers to condemnation. Other times it refers to the place of the dead. But it is always, always, always a place where you don't want to be. It's always negative. Never positive. And it is always a form of separation. A cutting off. He cries from the belly of Sheol. In what sense does Jonah's experience, or in what sense does Jonah experience death as a consequence of his sin? He lost fellowship with God. He lost fellowship with God. To lose fellowship with God, to be banished from his presence, that is death. That's hell. That can even touch a man while he's living. That sense or loss of God's presence can even touch a man while he lives. You can begin to have a sense of hell simply by having a total loss of the sense of God's presence and favor in your life. And that's exactly what's happening here. You know. You've been at the place where you've gone and chased your sin. And and in that place, you begin to ask yourself, is God with me? And you know, I cannot say yes. And that is more torturous than even the sin that you are indulging in. It is this, that God is not with me. That God is not with me. Jonah was in the belly of Sheol. And in the course of this, we read... What's going on in his heart? Jonah, in verses 2 through 6, gives us a picture of all of the distress that he's going through. Jonah describing for us what kind of uh, spiritual condition that he was in. More than physical. Jonah's heart was sold to sin. 
in the book of Jonah, the Lord uses Jonah to show us that the wages of sin is death. That if you persist, you will die. Secondly, Christ was made sin on our behalf. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made sin on our behalf. Why why would I say Christ was made sin on our behalf? There's no mention of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Jonah. We'll get to that in a moment. When we read through the language of the second chapter, we can hear anticipations of the coming of the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Listen close and watch close. Look at your Bibles too. Jonah's death was a death in the sense that Jonah was abandoned by God for a time. When Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees who demanded signs from him, responded, Matthew twelve thirty nine, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The sign. What is the sign of Jonah? The Lord Jesus Christ is drawing a link between his own experience of death and Jonah's experience of death in the second chapter. So what then is this sign that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of that's found for us in the book of Jonah? Chapter two says nothing of a sign. Remember this. The book of Jonah is a prophetic book. The events in the life of Jonah are the prophecy of Jonah. The events in the book of Jonah are the prophecy of Jonah. They are. His events are the sign. Even Jonah being picked up by these sinful men and thrown to his death. Even that is a sign. Jesus was handed over by sinful men to death. Do you see that? You may hear us say from time to time. Have you heard us say this was a type? Have you heard us say before this was a shadow? You may be wondering, and and I ask for your forgiveness for not explaining it clearer before, but it is simply a sign that points to the reality. Meaning this, shadow, type, sign, all of these can be used interchangeably because they all are similar in what they are, are attempting to accomplish. How many of you have ever seen your shadow? Is your shadow you? No, thank God, too. Our shadows are really large sometimes, right? (laughs) Your shadow is not you. You can shut it off now. Your shadow is a shadow of the reality of who you are. So if you wave your shadow, you see the shadow, but it's not really you. It's pointing to you. It's a sign to who you are. The same thing with signs. When you see signs, they are pointing you toward a destination. That you have not yet uh, arrived at. It's the same thing. When we say that something is a type or shadow of Christ, it is a sign. It is pointing to Christ. And when we say a type of Christ, pointing to Christ. When we say a shadow of Christ, it's not Christ, but it's pointing to Christ. A sign of Christ, not Christ, but it's pointing to Christ. Does that make sense? Therefore... The events in the life of Jonah, Jonah's life itself was a type, shadow or sign of Christ or to Christ. Amen. That makes sense. So then what is the sign of Jonah that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of? Here it is. Matthew twelve forty. Just as Jonah. Here's the sign he's going to tell you. 
Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is the sign of Jonah? What was happening in the life of Jonah that was pointing us to Christ? Jonah's death. Jonah being entombed in the belly of the great fish was a sign that was pointing us to Christ. His own death, his own burial, and even his own resurrection. Christ, in one sense, is the fulfillment or the realization of what is pictured for us in the book of Jonah. Jonah is the shadow. Christ is the fulfillment or Christ is the actuality. Jonah's experience is an object lesson that points us to one greater than Jonah. Jonah points us to one greater than Jonah. And Jonah's life is prophecy to Christ. This is a picture of the Christ. And Jonah didn't even know it. And Jonah didn't even realize it. As Jonah's sin caused him to cry out to God with the cry of dereliction, one who has failed, one who has disobeyed. As he suffered banishment from the presence of God, so also did the Lord Jesus Christ cry out with the cry of dereliction. God's representative cried out with the forsakenness of a sinner. In Mark 15, 33, when the sixth hour had come, listen, darkness over the whole land there was until the ninth hour. Even that, in a sense, is, is, a, is a sign of Jonah. In the same sense that Jonah was surrounded by darkness, so the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is surrounded by darkness. And what else? Chapter or verse 34 of Mark 15, and at the ninth hour... Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sanbachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to Jonah. Jonah 2.1. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol. What does he say in verse 4? I am driven from your sight. God forsakenness was the experience of Jonah, but one greater than Jonah. The Lord Jesus Christ experienced a greater forsakenness when he endured the wrath of God as Jonah endured the wrath of God on the cross. And as he was entombed in the rich man's tomb, Jonah's cry in this passage anticipates, you know what anticipate means? You know what that means? It it was looking forward to. It was pointing to the cry of the Holy One of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, who some 800 years later cried out with this same cry, My God, my God, I am driven away from your sight. Whatever grief that Jonah felt when he was in the belly of the great fish, the Lord Jesus Christ experienced greater for our sins. Jonah's cry of forsakenness pales to measure up to the, 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 the cry of forsakenness that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced when he was abandoned by God on the cross. Jonah found himself under the wrath of God because of his own sin. The Lord Jesus Christ drank the cup of wrath not to attempt to atone for his own sins, but to pay the penalty for the sins of those who were his own. Do you see the types and shadows? Do you see the pictures there? Don't just read the book of Jonah and say, now I'm done. Let's go to Obadiah. Slow down. Slow down. 
the expression of grief in the second chapter of the book of Jonah, it finds its ultimate echo in Christ and his cry from the cross of Calvary. Jonah is a type of Christ. He's a sin bearer and undergoes the wrath of God who cries out with a cry of dereliction, indicating that he had been forsaken for God, by God. And all of this is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ who became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Matthew twelve forty one, Jesus said to, to those who were seeking a sign, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something or someone greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was great. He preached the message to Nineveh. But someone greater than Jonah is here. And Jonah was pointing to me. The Lord Jesus Christ experienced the pain of forsakenness like no other human being ever experienced. What is that? What is the pain of forsakenness? It was the prospects of being forsaken by the father. The the obedient son being cut off from the father. Loss of fellowship with God. Not necessarily his own physical life was he was he. Looking, not looking forward to or sweating great drops of blood against or for. It was being abandoned, forsaken by the father. And in that sense, the Lord Jesus Christ did go to hell. In that sense, as the Apostles Creed said, descended into hell. In that sense, he did go to hell and experiencing the very depths of Sheol. Experiencing being forsaken by God. He was not, as some preachers say, in hell three days, three nights. The devil thought he had him. They're all poking him with these uh, pitchforks from the mid-centuries or from the middle mid-ages. Dancing around in their red suits. And then, oh my gosh, what's happening? His eyes are opening. That's not the, the hell that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced. You've been taught that, haven't you? So was I. No, it was being forsaken by God on the cross. It was God turning his face and not looking upon sin and at the same time looking upon his son with great love. That was hell. Why? Paul tells us why. Second Corinthians 521 for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God. Third and finally, the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. Jonah's prayer in chapter two was not only a prayer of agony. It was not only a prayer of despair, although it was all of those things. But as you look into those into his prayer, you'll see that there are glimpses of hope. Not just prayer, not just agony, not just being in the place of the dead Sheol, but it is also a prayer of hope. And remember, this prayer is meant to be appropriated to others. We are to read this prayer and find in ourselves a likeness in Jonah. We are meant to identify with Jonah. Why? Because even in the depths of his despair, Jonah found hope. And so, too, can we find hope in the depths of our despair. Because one greater than Jonah has come. 
And just as Jonah was delivered from the depths, so also we can be delivered from any hellish experience that we experience in this world. If we turn and trust the Lord. We can be united to God if we turn from our sins and trust in Christ alone for our salvation. When Jonah experienced or what Jonah experienced was something similar to what Christ had experienced in the sense that Jonah is not left to undergo decay. Do you see? It's just a myriad of different things. The Lord Jesus Christ was not left in the tomb to to experience decay. And so Jonah was also not left in the belly of the fish to experience decay, pointing to Christ. Jonah was brought back to life from the belly of Sheol. And it is Christ who opens up that way of life back to us through his death and through his resurrection. If you turn from your sins and trust in him alone. Jonah and Jesus were not left in their tombs. Jonah was not left in the belly of the the great fish, but he was restored to the land of the living. Lord Jesus Christ was also raised to life. But here is the difference in why Christ is greater. Jonah was raised up by the grace of God. Jonah was raised up by the grace of God. Jesus was raised back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, as a reward of his obedience. As a reward of his obedience in resurrection. He's not receiving grace. He received the just due reward for his righteousness. Jonah's receiving grace in spite of his unrighteousness. Christ is receiving his reward because of his righteousness. Slow down when you read Jonah. He earned his life so that he might give us life. Both are given life. Both are given life on the other side of condemnation. Jonah's victory over death displays for us that God has provided salvation for men. Let me try this again. Jonah's victory over death displays for us that God's salvation, there we go, for men. And Jesus' victory over death is greater because his victory secures our salvation. Jonah's being saved shows that God does saved, save Christ's salvation. Resurrection shows that our salvation is secure in him. Gosh, there's just so many different dots to be connected here. The first signs of Jonah and him seeing any kind of hope or in verse two, I called out to the Lord out of my distress The captain of the ship said, call out to your God. Arise, call out to your God. Jonah's finally doing that. Jonah's finally calling out to his God. And listen, after three days and three nights, it's been three days in the, 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 in the, the, all of the bile of the great fish. He's finally decided to call out to God after three days and three nights. Happenstance? No. The Lord worked on his heart after three days and three nights so that Jonah would still then be a picture of Christ. Could he have done it on the first day? Sure. But then it would not have been a complete picture of Christ. It is God who changes the heart. And when his change comes, there is no there is God will have his man. God will have his man. Amen. 
Verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars had closed over me, yet you brought me up from you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Another anticipation of Christ. Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice. When you cry out to God in distress, what does God do? God hears. God hears. Jonah speaks in the same way. Verse four, I will look again at your holy temple. When I when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. Jonah was as good as dead in the depths of the depths. And in that place, he cries out to God. And by the grace of God, his prayer does not reach the tops of the waters and come shooting back down. But when he prays, his prayers reach the very throne room of God. I cried out to God and you heard me. Can you remember when you cried out? Some way, somehow, by the grace of God, your prayer was heard from the depths of Sheol that you were in and reached the very throne room of God. Can you imagine the very depths of the depths, the place of the dead, and from that place crying out to God and to reach the highest of the highs? The Lord will always hear the prayer of Peter. Help me. Help me. I remember the Lord. What did Jonah remember? From the depths of Sheol, I remember the Lord. What did he remember? That God is full of mercy. That the Lord is kind. That the Lord is is kind Abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. There is much content that we can remember when it comes to the Lord. There is much that we can say when we begin to begin to think about the goodness of God. In your depths. Remember God. Remember God is good. Remember the mercy of God. That his arm is not too short and his mercy does not run out. Running from God is ultimately destructive, but there is no sin that is greater than the grace of God. The grace of God is able to reach out to the uttermost to save those who belong to him. God is able to save Other securities will fail you, he says in verse 8, that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. If you pin your hopes on anything less than God, you will ultimately die. You will ultimately be disappointed if you trust in anything other than God. Verse 9, but salvation is from the Lord. Jonah believes that God can raise him up, that God can save him. Jonah is speaking of poetic form. He's speaking according to his faith. He believed that God could save him. And where is he praying this? Where is he praying that God can save me? Not on the shores of the sea. Not on the beach kicking back with his feet up. Not with a Mai Tai in his hand. I don't even know what that is, but I've heard it said before. He is saying this from the depths of Sheol, from the belly of the great fish. He's saying. Salvation is from the Lord. Can you remember when you were in the muck and mire? And you said, 
I know God can save me. And you walked into the house of God filthy. And the Lord, by his grace, began to pour his blood upon you. And as it dripped from from your fingertips, you began to realize that you were being made clean. White as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The deliverance of Jonah was first spiritual. God had, by the grace of God, given him a renewed heart. Before Jonah was ever uh, physically preserved, before he was ever uh, vomited out of the mouth of the belly of the fish, God had changed his heart. We pray for those who have different physical ailments, that their disease would go away. No, pray that their heart would be changed. Can you pray for my so-and-so? They have cancer. Are they saved? No. Pray that God would save them. Pray that God would save them. You need a spiritual saving before you need a physical saving. What did Jesus do to the blind man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? To show you that the, that the Son of Man has authority to, to forgive sins. Your sins are forgiven. Stand up. Not stand up. Now your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Stand up. Spiritual, physical, and sometimes only spiritual is matter. It matters. Uh, only the spiritual will will will, will matter. Only the spiritual will suffice. Only the spiritual will will be preserved. Amen. This is wasting away. Verse nine. But with a voice of thanksgiving in closing, will I sacrifice to you what I have vowed? I will pay. Salvation belongs. What what vow? What vow? Perhaps Jonah is, is referring to the moment when he was set apart as a prophet of God and he made vows. When he was ordained and consecrated for the work of the ministry of a prophet, where he made vows that he would utter God's word at no cost. Jonah is now remembering those vows. And I'm ready to obey. The Lord gives Jonah life, as we'll see in the third chapter. And God appoints the great fish to vomit him out of his mouth. Jonah's time in the the great belly of the fish points us to Christ. Who, for the sake of sinners that he loved before the foundation of the world, endured the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary, was buried three days and three nights and was raised to life and ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for those who belong to him. Do you belong to him this morning? Have you turned from your sins and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, do so this morning. Escape the wrath of God by running to the one who endured his wrath for you. Who believe in him. Let us stand.